Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my colleague, Jay Shabat, to discuss Air India's recent aircraft deals and what's going on in the Indian market, as well as the Tijuana Airport's cross-border express bridge to the U.S. and how it's changing California-Mexico travel. Thank you and enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing today? Hi, Ned. I'm good. How are you? Ah, doing well, doing well. We're recording this on Tuesday, September 13th, so we're about to hit the ground running at a number of events. We've got a Morgan Stanley Investor event on the 14th, the U.S. Chamber Aviation Summit on the 15th. So by the time you're listening to this, there might be a lot of news or there could be a lot of nothing. We shall see. But uh, <laughs> that is what we are on the on the eve of. My guess is a lot of news. <laughs> there's never there's never any nothingness in the airline industry. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. So while we wait for that news drop that is bound to come, uh, uh, Jay, why don't you tell us a little about, about what's going on in India? Yeah, so Air India, um, everybody's favorite airline. No, I'm joking. Um, Air, Air India, which uh, has uh, always kind of had a reputation of, of not being terribly efficient, not being terribly customer friendly. They're, they're, uh, they were until recently a state-owned airline and uh, you know just, just for many years overstaffed and, and uh, never, you know, just always heavily loss-making. Uh, they did recently, they were recently privatized and the new owners are um, just announced this week that they're going to be acquiring new aircraft. Uh, the specifically 30 new aircraft, and uh, five of them are actually going to be long-range wide-body planes, um, triple nice. seven, yeah, triple seven, two hundred uh, long-range versions. So they're going to use those are those are they use those on on U.S. routes. So they mentioned San Francisco and uh, and Newark. So um, they uh, yeah, so Air India is getting the capital investment that they uh, they kind of haven't had in a long time because, you know, whatever, they were dependent on government budgets. Now they've got the private money in there. Uh, and it's, you know, Air India is, they're going to try to establish themselves as a, uh, you know, more respectable and stronger player in the intercontinental market. Now, one thing very interesting about the Indian market is that we've had this enormous growth in that market. But so much of it has been concentrated in the domestic market and specifically, okay. or, or you can even extend it to uh, short haul international. Um, when I say that, that includes routes between India and the Gulf states, for example, Dubai and, and Qatar. That's a that's very big market. A lot of migrant workers going back and forth. Um, so there's been growth there. Also over to uh, Southeast Asia, you know, Singapore, whatnot. But we talk about the long haul stuff. Stuff to Europe, stuff to North America, stuff like into kind of deep into East Asia, Australasia. That stuff has been uh, very, very slow growing over the past decade. And uh, India, Air India is going to try to change that. And I want to I wanted to add, like, I mean, while it's been slow growing, we've mostly seen foreign carriers doing what growth there has been. Uh, I, I think of Qantas going into the Indian market. We've seen um, American go back to India. United has expanded. Delta has gone into India. So the the growth seems to have been not amongst the Indian airlines, but amongst foreign carriers. So yeah. exactly. And some people will say that essentially the uh, the, the uh, sort of the de facto national airline of India is Emirates because they <laughs> serve they serve the country so extensively. And in all seriousness, it, it does because the Gulf carriers are so strong in the Indian market because they serve it so extensively and they could connect it 
to just about every other point on the on the planet. Um, that's one of the reasons why no airline has been able, no Indian airline has been able to really establish a foothold. Foothold. I mean, we mentioned Air India, but in the past, Jet Airways has tried. They were they were unable to do it. They wound up going to bank, going going bankrupt. Uh, Indigo, which is responsible for a lot of the domestic growth in India, and the country's time, largest domestic airline, we should say, by far, by far. And at one time, Indigo uh, had interest in buying Air India, and then after that, kind of you know they kind of got over that. They were interested in the idea of buying wide bodies, perhaps, they, and they never did, and probably for good reason. It's just a much tougher market. They would have you know had to compete with the likes of Emirates and whatnot. Um, now, what right, they and say, we they see. Say, I just an aside ahead. here. I mean, we see the the checkered history of long haul low cost flying because Indigo is a low cost airline. I just I look as far as AirAsia X, and they've never really been able to you know capture market despite being backed by such a strong low cost airline, AirAsia. You know, we've seen and similar with Transatlantic Norwegian Air's long haul low cost uh, collapsed. And, and so, yeah, it's probably was wise of Indigo to forego trying to do that with uh, with wide bodies. I think so. And what they'll tell you now is that the game is changing because of these new longer range narrow bodies that are starting to hit the market. The A321LR specifically. And then in a few years down the road, 2025, you'll start seeing the XLR, the extra long range. They say that's going to change the game. We're going to be able to do more international, uh, you know, hit more markets from Indian hubs. Uh, that's, you know, that remains to be seen. I think there are some limitations with those narrow body aircraft. Um, not, not, not simply just the range limitations, but, but also, you know, you can't have as big of a premium, uh, you know, premium, as many premium seats. So, and premium seating we've seen is, is very important. Uh, it's an important kind of ingredient to making money on on very long haul flights. Uh, Singapore Airlines is a good example, or Emirates for that matter. Um, that's kind of you know a big part of their business model. So it's you know these narrow bodies. I think they'll have a place. I'm not sure how revolutionary they're actually be. They'll actually be. Um, you know we have Vist uh, Vistara, which is partially owned by Singapore Airlines. They're trying to do some long haul. Um, this new airline, Vacasa. I don't know if they have anything planned, but you know they're 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 there's been amb ambitions to try to compete with the Gulf carriers and like to try to, you know, create a sort of long haul Indian superstar airline, but it's just never come to pass. Another problem is also the fact that the airports in India, I mean, if you're going to start an intercontinental hub, the two most likely cities you would do it from would be Mumbai or Delhi and right. neither have quite the, you know, they don't have a Dubai airport or a Changi airport in Singapore. It's just, you know, there's a lot of congestion. Mumbai in particular is just like super congested or certainly was before the pandemic. So that's another kind of impediment. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's been really tough, like you said, for the name carriers to really etch out, eck out a, a spot in the market. But I have to say, I mean, Madhu uh, used to always say the Tata group, you know, everything they touch turns to gold. So for for all you know Air India has a good chance of of turning around under under Tata ownership of course we shall see you know Tata's right. have only done a joint venture Vistara like you mentioned in the airline industry but it's uh you know they certainly have a strong corporate backer that's for sure yeah yeah no and, and Air India is it's definitely has potential because of the uh, I mean even back as early as 2005 when India first deregulated many of its markets they signed an open skies with the US it looked at that point that Air India might 
that might be a pivotal moment because uh, the government actually helped them finance a whole bunch of new Dreamliners, you know, state-of-the-art planes, triple sevens. Uh, and it looked like, hey, this is, you know, this this might be an Air France moment. You know, Air France is kind of a a uh, prototype airline that was a basket case and then suddenly, you know, turned into a very strong airline. Um, it, it looked like that could have happened for Air India, but it never really did. And a lot of that had to do with just, you know, they were just so overstaffed and and the fact that the domestic market became so super hyper competitive. So they never, never, you know, they kind of always remain. And then they had to merge with Indian Airlines. There was all sorts of reasons why it never happened. But maybe uh, this is their moment. We'll see. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, we shall see. But um, it, it's interesting, these deals, they're also long term leases and not orders. So uh, mm -hmm. You know, potential Air India order could still be out there in the market. I know that the air framers are looking at that uh, closely. Um, there was talk, of course, of an Air India Airbus A350 deal recently, but uh, this one is, of course, for five Boeing 777s. So I wonder what this, you know, we don't have any update on what the status of an A350 is, but that could still very much happen. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to see some follow-on orders for some smaller wide bodies. That's that would perfectly make sense uh, based on what they're trying to do. I'll say just one more thing before we move move on and why it's so difficult to fly long haul from India. I remember once um, someone from Air Canada was telling me that uh, you know they they were trying to fly from Toronto to Delhi, and they said it was so hard to make it profitable because you could either a traveler could either go eastbound or westbound. They could connect in Europe, they could connect in the Gulf, and then they can go across the Pacific and connect in Hong Kong. That even works, or, or you know, one of the Asian hubs, Tokyo. Some of that stuff even like is, is reasonable to do time-wise. So it's it's just where it is location-wise, it makes that North American market in particular very difficult, very competitive to serve. Now, this was, I'm kind of relaying a story from the pre-Dreamliner days. So yep. now with the 787, it's um it's a lot easier to do that, but but still not easy. Easier, but not easy. Definitely, and we've seen a proliferation of some nonstops to India, but um, mm -hmm. you know those of uh, you know not all of them have have succeeded. So we shall see. Mm -hmm. it's, it'll be it's a market that we are definitely watching. That's for sure. For sure, for sure. And then you always got to watch the economic growth as well. You know, a lot of lot of potential there to to, to grow economically. Perhaps even replacing China as a, you know an important growth engine for the for the world economy. Of course, of course. All right, Jay, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Well, Jay, I had the opportunity to speak with the CEO of Grupo Aeroportario del Pacifico. Excuse me to anybody who can actually pronounce that correctly. <laughs> otherwise known as GAP. And uh, he told me a bit about the um, the exciting things that are happening at the Tijuana airport uh, in, in their portfolio. Yeah, I, I always found that to be an interesting airport because it's so close to San Diego that it's almost an alternative airport for, <laughs> for Southern California. Yeah, almost. And in the last few years, it really has become an alternative airport. So in late 2015, uh, Gap opened a new bridge called the Cross Border Express Bridge between San Diego and the Tijuana airport terminal essentially allowing a U.S. traveler to drive, take its Uber, park on the U.S. side, take a check-in for their flight and cross the bridge. And the, the benefit of this is if anyone's tried to cross the border uh, <laughs> on I-5 or any of the San Diego 
Mexico crossings, they tend to have long waits, long queues, and then you cross and you still have to get to the airport. So this bridge eliminated all those extra, all the extra waiting. Only airline passengers within 24 hours are able to use it and people could go right through. So I spoke and to be to clear, get, it's a pedestrian bridge. It's you walk it across. It's a pedestrian mm -hmm. bridge, an international bridge, the only such international bridge to an airport on the U.S. border. Of course, I think Tijuana may only be the only airport, uh, foreign airport on the U.S. border, but that's another story. So, you know, this is something I've been following for years, uh, because like I said, it's been open seven years, but um, these shifts that the the bridge has been in making in, in sort of air travel between Southern California and Mexico really have been become pronounced since the pandemic occurred. Now, I was speaking, you know, well, let's, let's look at the numbers. I mean, the bridge is already, uh, the number of crossings that have already surpassed 2019 numbers. And in the first seven months of this year, it's the latest data, uh, 1.6, or <laughs> no, it was, yeah, this is 2019, I'm sorry. Many people, many more people crossed the bridge than flew internationally into San Diego International Airport. And in fact, Southwest and Alaska, the two airlines that fly nonstop from San Diego to Mexico, have shrunk their their report their footprint. Southwest canceled flights to Puerto Vallarta, and Alaska's flying a bit less than they did. So it's really, I mean, Tijuana is becoming the gateway for San Diego and Southern California, maybe more broadly, to Mexico, just because it's so affordable to to fly rather than an international flight. That's it's so interesting, and and I one thing about San Diego too is I believe they only have one runway and they can't build another. Is that right? Are they like the busiest airport in the U.S. with only one runway? I may have that wrong, but it's something I, like they that. might be in the U.S. They're not in the world. I know in the world, in the world that yeah, Gatwick, Gatwick is the busiest yeah. single runway airport, but they may be in the U.S. Now Tijuana Airport also has uh, no, they have two runways, so they do have two. The one main runway, so it's this you is know, in San Diego. This is the Tijuana airport has, oh, has okay, okay, two okay. runways. But yeah, San Diego has one runway. And don't forget, it is uh, limited by the um, development on the eastern end of the runway sits a, a large hill. So they, you know, planes have to, I mean, the approaches are pretty steep into and out of San Diego. Yeah, it's too bad because the uh, all that land in San Diego is so cheap to develop. They could have just easily. Uh, no, I'm joking. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about California. It's just so hard to, you know, e even if you are allowed to uh, expand the airport, uh, you know, the, the physical limitations. It's just the land is so expensive. But um, but but the yeah, Tijuana is is uh, uh, a a big a bigger market than than I think a lot of people might might think. They even uh, in your um, I know Ned, you had written about this earlier in the week. And you mentioned how there were pre-pandemic, there were even flights to Asia, nonstop to Asia from Tijuana. Right. So Tijuana used to be Aeromexico's gateway to Asia. They long boasted uh, nonstop to Tokyo, which moved to Mexico City with uh, the introduction of the Dreamliner. Uh, we spoke about that when we were talking about India. But they still had uh, were Aeromexico's gateway to Shanghai, and they also had flights on Hainan Airlines to Beijing pre-pandemic. Now, I don't know if Hainan's going to be flying long-haul international anymore after the restructuring, but of course, you know, there's expectations that Aeromexico will, will resume Shanghai flights when and when and if China reopens. So, and and let's see, Raul Revuelta Muselem, the CEO of GAP, is hopeful that the bridge could help them attract more international flights, not just to Mexico, but to other parts of the world. Given the Tijuana airport doesn't have the, the geographic constraints around its runway, 
that San Diego has, and then they can also offer cheaper landing fees. And in order to to do this, they just opened the summer processing building that would allow anyone arriving from an international flight uh, in Tijuana to immediately go to the bridge and skip Mexican customs altogether. So they would never have to technically enter Mexico. They would land in Tijuana and immediately go to the bridge and cross into the U.S. So he's really hopeful in the recovery that that could help attract more long-haul international airlines to Tijuana. Hmm. And the uh, speaking of the physical limitations uh, kind of inhibiting San Diego Airport, so one of the the chief reason why Aeromexico flies to Asia from Tijuana and not Mexico City is because Mexico City is a very high altitude airport, and they can't always get the seven eight even the seven eight sevens all the way to Asia there. So they uh, they kind of have to make a stop. Right, and, and Tokyo should... is uh, just enough close enough to to Mexico City, I guess, to make that work. Whereas Shanghai, being a few hundred miles further east, is you know they they go through Tijuana to make sure they can make that nonstop. Right, right. So the uh, it, so in that sense, Tijuana kind of benefits from the uh, just the you know the physical limitations of Mexico City Airport, and of course, Mexico City Airport has you know congestion issues and all that kind of stuff too. I know Guadalajara as well. And I think that that's a different airport group. I can't remember. Uh, no, that's people. Gap. Guadalajara is, that is Gap actually well? okay. yes, yeah, Guadalajara Gap as well. is actually Gap's largest airport. Now, I did ask uh, Revuelta if he thought Tijuana would surpass Guadalajara as Gap's largest airport in the near future, and he says no. Guadalajara is about a, has about a million more passengers than Tijuana right now, and but is is it's it's a growing market as well. So. He's optimistic that it's going to to continue to be their number one, but they're they're expanding that airport. They're building a second runway in Guadalajara, a second terminal. They're really positioning Guadalajara to be a secondary hub after Mexico City for Mexico. And this is something we've talked about before. Mexico City suffers from the fact that its main airport, Benito Juarez, is very constrained. And the Mexican government, uh, various administrations, have decided to build, instead of a new airport to replace Benito Juarez, decided to build the Felipe Angeles Airport on the outskirts. So Mexico City is a multi-airport system, but not uh, it, it, that makes it difficult for an airline to operate one large hub. So that could potentially benefit Guadalajara as that airport expands. Yep, yep. And I, and I should note that uh, this decision to not build a new airport for Mexico City was made after they invested a whole bunch of money in starting construction. I'll never forget uh, was it taking off from Mexico City. And you can look down and still still see the outlines of the the airport that was under construction. I mean, it was that far along when they when they canceled it. Yeah, that's a lot of wasted money there, but not not for me to 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 critique. But but yeah, that's that seemed like a big big waste. Uh, so yeah, that's for sure. Guadalajara is going to try to capitalize on that kind of messy Mexico City situation. Absolutely. Um, the the thing about Mexico too, you know, we talked about how India. Uh, is, um, you know, there's there are a lot of expectations of a lot of economic growth there. Mexico has been, the economic growth has frankly been very disappointing um, in recent years. There is some hope, however, that uh, as North American firms um, kind of re-engineer their supply lines and rely less on Asia for manufacturing, that perhaps they'll put more of that stuff Either within the United States itself or in Mexico, um, you know whether it be aviation itself. I mean, Mexico has a very rather large aviation sector in terms of like you know aerospace manufacturing, and they do a lot a lot of uh, parts and whatnot in Mexico. 
Um, that could, that kind of nearshoring, as they call it, could potentially benefit the economy of Mexico, which would, of course, have a spillover, you know, a positive spillover in for, for air traffic. Absolutely. You know, of course, you know, let's see, during the uh, uh, Trump administration, they renegotiated NAFTA, but... You know, NAFTA is still very much the even the new agreement still very much keeps a free trade between the two countries. And so there's definitely optimism there. I always think of, um, I guess, the, the Guanajuato area, which has attracted a lot of automotive investment. And that yes. has seen a lot of additional air service in the last 10 years from the U.S. as it's become a, a big destination. So there's, there's a lot of hope going on there. Now, I should we should say that when it comes to U.S. Mexico flying, the Mexican carriers are limited by the Category 2 safety rating from the FAA. And now that is an assessment of the Mexican aviation regulator, not of the airlines themselves. Though I did read in a note uh, from Cowan last week that there's expectations that that safety rating should be upgraded next year in 2023, which will allow the Mexican okay. airlines to grow again. But um, in the meantime, of course, anyone from California that wants to fly to Mexico Tijuana Airport is not in the U.S., so Mexican Airlines can add as many flights as they want there, and they absolutely are. Uh, I was looking at the capacity for the, the second half of the year, and um, Valeris, which is the largest airline there in uh, Tijuana, is has uh, doubled the amount of flying it does to Mexican beach destinations. Think Los Cabos, Puerto Vallarta, Cancun. Uh, compared to 2019. And then Viva Aerobus, which is the Mexican discounter growing rapidly, has grown by a thousand percent in the last three years Whoa, on Tijuana yeah. Beach routes. And, you know, you say a thousand percent, it's easy to do off a low base. Yes. But let's see. They were a fifth the size of Alaska uh, flying between San Diego and Mexico in 2019. And now they are two and a half times the size of Alaska based on the current current schedule. Yeah, so no, that, that's that's meaningful, serious growth there. Uh, and those two airlines you mentioned, Viva, Aerobus, and Volaris, uh, both had rather successful pandemics in the sense that they they um they they made money. I mean they they uh, they're they they were among the better performing airlines in the world financially. And that had something to do with the fact that you know Mexican uh, travel restrictions were, were rather lax. So there were people that were still flying down to Cancun and whatnot, Americans during the pandemic. And then they also, in 2021, you also had, uh, um, and I believe the, the airports, um, get gap may have been, may have said this themselves, uh, during 2020, when the 2021, when the vaccines first started getting administered in the U S but not yet in Mexico, there were a lot of Mexicans who were flying to the U S for what's called vac vac vaccination tourism, whatever they call it, you know, they were um, just go going up to the states to, to get their shots, uh, and that helped um, the low cost carriers as well. Uh, it's they're Volaris is probably the only airline in the world that I could think of, and Viva. This may be true of Viva as well, but I know it's true of Volaris that actually did much better in 2021 than 2022 for the second quarter. Which makes completely no sense, but it's, but it's they got that extra boost from the uh, you know no pun intended the boost from the booster shot, <laughs> um, <laughs> they which which is you know is no longer, you know they they didn't get that this year, um, so they actually their their earnings tailed off. Right, absolutely. So it's it'll be interesting to watch this story. I mean, the whole Mexican market is interesting. Curious yeah. to watch further growth there in Tijuana, Guadalajara, but it was it's uh, an interesting story. 
Anyway, yeah, Jay, don't forget that. Inter- oh. I was just going to say before we close that, uh, you know, there was an airline called Interjet. They're gone now. So that kind of helps the survivors. And the survivors, there's really only three of them. It's the two we were just talking about, Viva and uh, Valaris. And then Aeromexico, which is really the only one that's offering, you know, kind of full service premium. And they've got, they've had all sorts of problems. They went bankrupt and they had, you know, big, big max delays and 787 delays and, and this and that. And then the Mexico City, uh, you know, drama that we, that we talked about. So they had all sorts of issues too. Uh, but they, you know, they've got a joint venture with Delta and, uh, you know, I think they're, Flights to Europe are doing rather well now, um, so you know they're they're one to watch as well. But but Mexico is is always a uh, you know very dynamic market. Absolutely, and we'll be watching it closely. Well, thank we you will. everyone for for joining today. It's been a pleasure. If you need to reach uh, Jay, you can reach him at js at skiff.com. If you need to reach myself, it's er at skiff.com. Thank you again, and we look forward to joining you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.